0: I want this car. Jonathan Miller would never do anything to break the law. I need the keys. Thank you. Bye. He is a very fine, very honest gentleman. Something strange is happening to some ordinary people.
1: Yeah, that's Jack. Real nice man. What do you do, Papa Bank?
2: He's a law-abiding taxpayer, minding his own business. Killed 12 people, wounded 23 more, stole six cars, most of them Ferraris. If anybody deserves to go that way, it sure enough, the hell him. I've worked homicide for 13 years. I have never seen anything like this. Are you trying to tell me that she's part of this?
1: Step out of the car Slow
2: want answers and i want them now explanation won't help you i want to know why it takes 15 shots to take down some sold out stripper why three law-abiding citizens all of a sudden go crazy and start killing people we are talking spacemen
1: here something gets in his way he kills it
2: finds a body, gets inside, uses it to move around.
0: Try for one of the tires. you think this is easy? When two? Try
2: Bye. I guess a career in the police didn't really prepare you for this, did it? The Hidden.
1: You think it's over now? You're wrong. Hello, and welcome to the Semi-Cinematic Podcast, where we delve into films of the highest and sometimes lowest caliber. My name is John, and I'm here with Hunter. Say hi, Hunter. Hi. And Max. Say hello, Max. Hello. Each week, one of us selects two films, a rewatch we want to revisit, and one that is completely new to the selector. This week, we continue on our treacherous path through the genre of horror, and it's my week to pick. Tonight, it's a sluggle header. I've chosen The Hidden as my first watch, the trailer of which opened the show, and Night of the Creeps as my rewatch, which perhaps has my favorite line of dialogue ever. The good news is your dates are here. The bad news is they're dead. But before we get to our main reviews, let's take a moment or two to discuss what we've watched this past week. Uh, Max, what have you gotten into in the last seven days, cinematically?
2: I had a couple watches, um, Unintentional, Little Deborah Kerr, uh, Triple Header.
1: Um, oh, Triple Header, wow. Yeah,
2: right. I didn't plan for it, but it was <laughs> a collection on Criterion, so I, I watched An Affair to Remember uh, with her and Carrie Grant, which was, um, was, which was fun, a nice little romantic drama. Uh, the Innocents, which I think Hunter mentor mentioned um, previously, but it was a that was a spooky one. So you know, kind of getting into the October mood. It's hardly that's next Friday. Um, and then uh, Bonjour Tristesse. I think that's how you say that. But anyway, um, that was a fun one with David Niven and uh, Gene Seberg. So, uh, yeah, those were the the three highlights of my week.
1: I really I I liked Bonjour. I guess I don't know. It's Tristesse or Tristesse. That was I was a really good one. I, I watched that pretty recently also. And uh, is it an affair to remember when they're on the boat. Is that that one?
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. On a cruise, and and yeah, going back and forth from Italy to New York, and yeah, just uh, just a fun era. So it
1: is. Uh, Hunter, what did you watch this week?
0: All right, so I watched uh, I watched quite quite a bit, but I watched the first thing I watched was a French. I guess it's a horror movie, but it's really kind of a, just a cult midnight movie. Um, it's called Baby Blood. And <laughs> <laughs> it is, uh, it's about a woman who works in a circus and she is pregnant and she's married or is, uh, I guess, the uh, girlfriend of the person who runs the circus. And they, um, the circus, they purchase a, uh, a, I think it's a leopard. It's some kind of large jungle cat. And the jungle cat, one in the middle of the night just splits open and an alien worm like you know parasitic creature comes out of it and then it goes into the womb of the pregnant woman who works for the circus in a manner that you would probably that you're probably thinking how it would get there. (laughs) The path. (laughs) And um and then the alien it feeds on human blood and so the woman has to kill people and drink their blood. And uh, as you can imagine, this is a, a blood-soaked, unpleasant movie. Um, <laughs> I was eating ice cream during the movie, and it became very hard to enjoy the ice cream. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was... Uh, <laughs> That's a good movie. It's definitely... It, it belongs in the so-weird-it's-watchable category. I, I wouldn't say it's great, but it is interesting throughout, and it's well-directed. It's, it's, uh, the way it's shot is really cool. But uh, you'd have to be into something like Eraserhead or other cult midnight movies to be a fan of Baby Blood
1: I have one of those uh, light bulbs that has the full spectrum of colors you can change the color whenever you want and uh, watching that with the red bulb and eating ice cream that looks red that would be terrifying it would not be good (laughs) I'm I'm planning to not do that (laughs) Um, But. but yeah if you want to watch
0: Baby Blood though it is streaming on Canopy Oh, nice. Um, but it's for you know, cult movie enthusiasts, enthusiasts only. It's pretty, it's pretty rough. It's a um, light
1: Sunday morning watch.
0: <laughs> yeah, and so I needed, to, um, I needed to watch something more wholesome. So I watched Love with a Proper Stranger with Steve McQueen and Natalie Wood. And I, did, I loved it for about four-fifths of the movie. Uh, McQueen and Wood are great in it, and, and McQueen, it's a pretty offbeat role for him, but I thought he was really good. But the movie is played, you know, pretty pretty seriously, until like the final ten minutes, and then it turns into an episode of the Dick Van Dyke Show, and it is so weird. <laughs> it is such a weird, it's a weird ending. But I did enjoy it overall. And then I watched an Ernst Lubitsch movie called Clooney Brown. It stars Jennifer Jones. And it was, it, was, uh, it was entertaining. I needed something. I still needed something wholesome before I got back to the uh, depraved cinema that I love so much, <laughs> which is the Italian movie Hitchhike, starring Franco Nero and David Hess, who, of course, played Krug in the Last House on the Left. And a married couple picks up David Hess's character. And, of course, if you've seen The Last House on the Left, you know, picking up Hitchhiking David Hess is going to be a bad idea, Uh. huge mistake. (laughs) And um, (laughs) should be learned by now. And it's a pretty rough movie. I I, definitely a strong Peckinpah influence on it. Like I'm sure that they were fans of something like Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia or Straw Dogs. But I I did enjoy it. But it's it's definitely it's a pretty rough movie. It's on the Criterion Channel right now. And Ennio Morricone did the score, and the score
1: is amazing. Man, his scores are almost never not amazing. <laughs> At least from what I've heard. Like every time I'm like, "Wow, this score is really good," and it, it's usually him. I don't know. At least like yeah. from the '70s, '60s, it's just so prolific. Yeah, and this one's kind of different because he,
0: a lot of his scores have kind of like a strong melody to them, and this one is like really discordant. It has it has like no melody to it, but it works perfectly for the movie.
1: Yeah, I actually on Apple Music I've been listening to like kind of the best of of some of his stuff. It's just so good. I don't usually listen to scores on their own, but I have with his, and I'm enjoying it. He's just really one of the best, maybe the probably the best. Yeah, yeah, he's amazing. Yeah. <clears throat> so, is that is that your all your watches, Hunter? Yep, that's it. I uh, I leaned pretty heavily into horror this week, just you know, to get in the proper mood. I did watch um, actually. That leads me to I have a question. After I tell my uh, my movies, I uh, I watched for the first time Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two mm-hmm. with Dennis Hopper and uh, Toby Hooper directing again. Uh, it's a little hmm. It's a little sillier, perhaps, than the first yes. one, which is not saying much. But it didn't feel... Um, I mean, it it's hard to say. It's, it's campy, but not overly so. I mean, I, I thought it was really entertaining. I don't know if I had a lot of... I, I don't think I knew too much going in, whether it was going to be good or not. I didn't know if it was like regarded well or not. It's um, Letterboxd score is decent. But it was it was a lot of fun. I mean, definitely... A big change of pace from the first one but I'm glad I watched it Dennis Hopper hes, he's has a certain way he is in movies and there's not there's there's this one scene where he's trying out chainsaws that I think I shared with you guys in uh, our group text that's probably my favorite scene in the movie there's some some old chainsaw dealer watching him and he's just like fascinated by Dennis Hopper like trying out these chainsaws preparing to battle with the with the cannibal family um yeah that was a lot of fun it's, it's fun i i
0: think um it's not a great one to rewatch though because it's the tone is i know it's it, like it's kind of at 11 the whole time it's kind of yeah. like a, like rob zombie movies are a lot like texas chainsaw master 2
1: i definitely felt that when i was watching it i felt like this is at least some kind of influence on Rob Zombie movies. A very yeah. similar vibe. More from, like zombie is, is like no humor, but I can just I can see like just that other like uh, there's just no um, subtlety involved. Period. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I also watched this was this this one movie I really did not like, and I'm I, I'm pretty I'm not that. Uh, I'm pretty forgiving a lot of the time, especially of horror films, but I watched "The Lair of the White Worm," directed by Ken Russell, and I'd really enjoyed altered states by him. but this one, I don't know, it might have been a there's some dream sequences in here that just look really bad. I don't know if it's just like limitations of effects at the time where they were trying to be advanced but now it just looks really bad which happens to a lot of like late 90s early 2000s CGI um mm. there i mean you don't see a lot of it's um instead of vampires there's uh, some snakes and they have these snake fangs and that looks cool i was but it's just i don't know the whole thing to me just didn't work for me um I was just not having fun watching it. It was watchable. I watched the whole thing, but sometimes just certain vibes of films just don't work for me. And um, it's very rare I go under three stars, but this was one of them. And there was no heart icon on the box for that one either, and that's also rare for me. Uh, and I also uh, I watched Bronson for the first time. I didn't love this either. I I. Uh, I I thought it I thought it was interesting. I guess sometimes it's hard for me when I'm not really. I do like violence on screen, but sometimes if I'm I'm not really rooting for the main character, it gets me a little bit disassociated. Um, I don't know. Tom Hardy plays uh, Michael Peterson, aka Charles Bronson who is the uh, the most infamous prisoner in England. But uh, it's just, I don't know, I couldn't get into it. I, it's, it's maybe I had too high expectations because I really love Drive and I love um, uh, Neon Demon. But I also didn't like Only God Forgive, so I think it's really hit or miss with me and, and him, Nicholas, Winding Rain. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I wasn't very crazy stylized, about Bronson. No, I, I thought maybe I thought you liked it more than than uh, I thought maybe you you would have liked it more than I did. But yeah, what did you think about Hunter? <clears throat> well,
0: I haven't seen it. I saw it when it came out, uh, like when I was living in Los Angeles. Still, okay, but um, yeah, I just remember just. It was just kind of unpleasant. Like it was, I just didn't enjoy anything about it. I mean Tom Hardy's kind of, he's fun to watch, but yeah, I just didn't I didn't feel compelled to continue watching that that character.
1: Yeah, that's very similar to how I felt. Um and then once you're in that in that frame of mind, it's just hard to get out of it because that's what the film is about. It's this this guy yeah. and uh uh but I don't regret watching it. I don't. I don't really regret watching movies. I don't even enjoy. It's just I would never want to rewatch them. If if I was uh, on a date and someone was like, "Oh, I love this film," which has happened to me with um, what's that film? Uh, people seem to like. Uh, it's like a Tarantino ripoff from the mid '90s. There's like two brothers. Uh, oh. um
0: What's that movie called? I know what you're talking about. But Boondock Saints. Boondock Saints. Oh yeah, it's yeah, awful. I, I oh,
1: hate Boondock Saints so much. <laughs> but I hate it. it's some people's favorite film. Uh, I just don't understand it. It's definitely a red flag for me. <laughs> oh, huge red flag. Max, have you seen it? I have seen it. Yeah to be
2: a to be a favorite film would would be a little bit concerning.
1: Yeah, like number one. It's it's happened more than once. It's I, maybe it's like a love-hate type of film for people. I don't know. I mean, anything that
2: isn't Interstellar and you're number one, <laughs> you know, it's concerning. But, you know, that most can be excused.
1: Could you imagine a Barbara Stanwyck appearance in Interstellar? I think your head would be Oh, my split. gosh.
2: <laughs> she is the fourth dimensional being.
1: Hey, actually, do you have a stand pick for this week, Max? Um...
2: I, there is one it's not streaming anywhere but it, it's just probably one of the the best roles um double indemnity um I watched it on blu ray or started it I didn't log it yet um but again just a, a a staple film noir um it's it's just a fun watch so that is my stand pick for the week is double
1: indemnity so good it's probably in my it's really hard for me to rank favorite films after like a hundred in or in any kind of order, but I would put that in my top thirty. I love Noir and that's probably like a top three noir for me. Like just I watched it and it was just I was just so compelled. It's the dialogue's so good. It's everything about it. I just loved it. Uh yeah, that's that's an all time favorite film noir for me. So I mean that's a great pick. Yeah, it's awesome. Love it. Before we get to the two main films of today I had a pop quiz question for you guys. Um, first of all, what's a horror film that you had high expectations for that really let you down off the top of your head? Doesn't have to be the one or only. Uh, let's start with Max.
2: Dang. I, as the probably least
1: initial <laughs> fan.
2: Yeah. Um, oh,
1: that's a good one. So we're, we're talking about, it could be for any time. Just something you were like, this is going to be good. And then you were, watched it and you just did not enjoy it.
2: Uh, there's I, I can't think of the name, but I have a vivid memory of, of going in thinking, oh, no, it was The Conjuring. Yeah. And it wasn't so much the movie as much as it was the audience. Um, but just a combination. That, that's a movie that needs to be watched like alone or with a quiet friend, um, really <laughs> a
1: quiet friend.
2: <laughs> and this was a theater not full of quiet friends. And, uh, it just, I was so disappointed and, um, it just fell so flat for me. Cause I, I remember seeing the trailer. I remember seeing you know, those hands come out of nowhere and just clap next to the, to the lead's head. And I was like, this is gonna be awesome. And, it was not until i watched it many months later on on blu-ray but that is that's the one for me
1: yeah i uh it's a weird i feel like movie theaters and bars are the same way where i want them both to do well but i want them to be empty when i'm there like i I don't want this crowd i don't want a lot of noise um and when a especially with a, a film if it's a I don't know, if people are laughing in certain places or where they shouldn't be, or just talking. Anything like that takes you out of the moment, especially in something like that where a horror film where mood is such a big factor, it can really ruin the experience, um, which makes sense that you enjoyed it later. It wasn't the film itself, but the environment you were in. Yeah. But if people never went, then we wouldn't keep getting films, so... It's a it's a tough it's a tough one. I guess you get, I used to try to go late weeknights, um, maybe like a few weeks into a film's run. But then it's a dangerous game because if you miss it, then the next week it's gone. Um, and that's another that's a that's a good film for in the theater too. It's just it steps up the atmosphere watching it uh, on the big screen for sure. Yeah. Hunter, do you have one in mind while we've been talking about The Conjuring that uh, really let you down?
0: Hmm. This
1: is can a pass. tough one. I know, I brought, I brought a tough question for y'all today.
0: Trying to think, something I had high expectations for and was just crushed when it ended, and I hated it.
1: <laughs> if you even made it that far.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not coming up with, with anything off the top of my head. Now, I will say a movie that I thought was way overhyped is Crawl. The Alexander Aja movie, mm. Max.
2: We saw that, right? We did. I remember that. Great, great opening title, and then just a slow decline. <laughs>
1: wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I haven't seen it, and uh, I knew it got some decent uh, buzz, but now I'm less compelled. Yeah, people love it.
2: Yeah, they use the phrase "apex predator" unironically <laughs> about four or five times, I think. Yeah. <laughs> it is uh, it's pretty rough.
0: Yeah, I, I, I like the the, uh, the premise. That you know, there's a hurricane and it's there's a flood and alligators, you know, get wait, do they go into
2: a house? Is that what it is? Mhm. Her her dad is in the crawl space below or the yeah, the basement area. And then yeah the he got hurt or something, it was trapped underneath there, then the the hurricane comes in. I think that was the the beginning of it.
0: Yeah, it's not... Like, that could be good. I mean, if you have alligators and then people inside of a house, you know, then you, you, you at least expect some good scenes where you get to see the, the gators eat, you know? But,
1: whew. Does Is there any... Um, is the gator, like, totally CGI, or is there any practical...
2: I think they're all CG. I think yeah. so, yeah. There's some pretty violent uh, gator deaths, so... <laughs> That would be be hard to uh, achieve practically.
1: Yes, so, and, and the girl isn't.
2: Thankfully she the, the female art. character is a swimmer, right? Yeah, at the University of Florida. So oh, that's oh. right. Interesting. Well, that came full circle. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, Crawl was definitely one. I I I wasn't super excited about it, but it it was getting good reviews, and I know like yeah, you know, Tarantino. It was one of his favorite movies of the year. And so I was moderately excited about it, but
1: yeah, pretty, pretty dull. I might have to watch that just to kind of see where you guys are coming from. uh so I was interested. I had almost watched it a couple times, um but then I kind of forgot about it. There's just so many things to watch um i I didn't have one in my I didn't cheat and like think of something in advance uh but just looking at my letterbox ratings. I love John Carpenter, but I really could not get into The Fog. I don't know if you guys have seen it. Hunter, you probably have, but.
0: Yeah, I haven't seen it in The Fog in a while. But it's not we, one of my favorites of his.
1: No, it was really flat for me. I just did, like, I gave it a two star. That's almost unheard of for me. Uh, that's what I yeah. gave yeah. Crawl, so I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I gave Crawl a two. Yeah. And The Fog I I I wonder, gave it a 3.5. I wonder if we like ever put like all of our least rated films into some kind of computer. If there's certain elements of them that just rub us the wrong way that we don't even think it's like something subconscious where something just like completely takes us out of the situation. I don't know. But yeah, I, was, I don't even remember anything about the movie now, but it's one of those like it's John Carpenter, it's 1980. It's Jamie Lee Curtis. I'm excited about this film, and then just did not enjoy it.
0: Yeah, um, I remember liking some of it's like pretty atmospheric, and I think the the score is cool in the fog. But yeah, it's definitely
1: not not one of his best. And then on the other side of the coin, something that you did not think was going to be good, yet still delved into and was or was just you weren't sure if it was going to be anything, and then like it really blew you away. Also in horror. Hunter, you first this time. Oh, dear. <laughs> I know I put you guys on the spot, but that's mm. the fun of pop quizzes. You know, I wanted to get some nice dead air into the podcast here. How's this yeah, sure? My plan? You know, I'm, I'm a nihilist. Max, do you have one? Well Hunter thinks?
2: This is the opposite of thought it would be so-so or thought it would be um, not great, then watched it and were, was kind of blown away by it exactly I'm trying to think I'm I am I mean again because I, like I said I, I'm I'm probably the most gore averse horror horror averse so <laughs> Go- it's
1: gore yeah I am
2: I am a little gore <laughs> yeah that's a whole different episode of just diving into the the, uh, the psyche behind that but yeah because um, most of them you know were ones that had come recommended and then it met recommendation it was like okay This is a four-star, this is a three-star, whatever. Yeah. What am I thinking of? Um, Ooh, I think I have
0: one. Okay, Hunter. All right, one that I wasn't expecting a whole lot from was the uh, David Gordon Green's Halloween. And I love it. I think it's awesome.
1: Yeah, me too. I really did enjoy that.
2: Because that was one, yeah, we saw that too, and I, I... that was like the first I think horror movie I'd seen in theaters in, in in quite a bit, and I that was a that was a fun watch. I'm gonna go with Hereditary. I I wasn't too aware of uh, Ari Aster and didn't really know what to expect going into that one. Um, you know, had seen some trailers and and had seen some clips and thought it looked interesting, and then I went and saw that with a friend and uh, was was pretty blown away. Um, in terms of just uh, how that story kind of twist and turned and, and, and then, you know, the scares and, and just how he kind of navigated, um, you know, not pure. I mean, there is some, there is some Corey, uh, stuff in that one. Um, but, uh, just as a whole, that was, that was a that was a fun watch.
1: Yeah, it is. That's one of the more frightening experiences I've had watching a film in a while. It's just really dark. Uh, I've watched some dark stuff, but that one—that one really hit me. Uh, just, whew, that's that's definitely one we need a palate cleanser after, for sure. Or just to be in nature in the daytime for a while and just—I mean, I don't mind that. I like when something affects me like that, but uh, you definitely need. It takes you to some dark places for sure.
0: Yeah, you need to watch an Ernst Lubitsch film afterwards.
1: Yeah. Exactly. It's it's balance. It's all about balance, you know. It bring mm-hmm. brings some, brings you down, bring you back up. Um, for me, one in that would fit that. Uh, I have the same issue where usually stuff is recommended, or I do research on it, where it's pretty likely that it's going to be good, or at least most people think it's good. Um, I'm trying to think something that. I mean, actually. This one isn't wasn't um, too disregarded, but I did get to see some really negative ratings on The Lodge from a couple years ago, mm-hmm. um, and I actually really enjoyed that. I thought it was uh, much better than what I had read about it. Um, I love it's, The
0: Lodge. It, yeah, it's I wrote awesome.
1: big scene. I think I wrote lights out alone, middle of the night. That's when you should watch this film. Kind, it's because it just has that. Um, I mean, I know it's kind of, a, a it's just one of those where you kind of want to be by yourself. It's not a, you want to really get invested in it. Um, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. Um, maybe you have yeah, to suspend it, some what's disbelief. The actress,
0: what's the lead actress's name? Is it Riley Keough? Riley Keough? Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's awesome. And she selects great roles. Like she's, she's in a lot of good stuff.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, she seems to pick interesting interesting roles for sure. haven't seen her in any, in any Marvel movies. Oh, Mad, she's in Mad Max. I don't know if she was in Mad Max. Yeah. It's huh. been a while since I've seen that. All right, and uh, now it's time to get to our two feature films for the week. The first film is The Hidden from 1987. This is a first watch for me, directed by Jack Shoulder. His personal favorite film that he directed, um, the only other film of his that I've seen was Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. I had a couple weeks there, I think last October, where I watched pretty much all of them. And I don't think I'd ever... It's hard to say. Some of these film franchises, uh, it's like you know so much from pop culture that you're not actually sure if you've actually seen all the films uncut that wasn't on TV. Um, so I rewatched them all. I really enjoy them. There's, there's more, there's uh, something about Freddy Krueger just being a little bit more of a jokey. Uh, he has like, a lot of one-liners as opposed to just like the, the silent killing of, of uh, Jason or Halloween, Michael Myers. There's just more personality, um, which can get, you know, there's some flaws to that, but it does, it does, it does, add some fun to murder. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Uh, But uh, one thing I noticed about this film is there's a couple, um, even though it's before Twin Peaks, there's a couple interesting Twin Peaks correlations. You've got Kyle MacLachlan as a lead actor in it, playing an FBI agent. Uh, You've got the credits are in this neon green color, which Twin Peaks has and you don't see it very often. There's not a lot of neon green credit title fonts going around. And uh also Chris Mulkey is uh in the first 15 minutes or so of the film from also from Twin Peaks. Uh I don't know. I don't I don't know. Sometimes you see these things that happen before something else and you wonder if oh David Lynch saw Kyle MacLachlan as a uh FBI agent and it kind of spurred him into using him in that in twin peaks i don't know i mean i know they worked together before this but yeah i don't know i'm obsessed with twin peaks it's my barbara stanwick so <laughs> <laughs> any relations i'm like wow that guy yeah i know that guy you know um so this film uh having not seen it i didn't really know much about it going in which i really enjoy sometimes And uh, we open up with uh, this guy, Jack DeVries, played by Chris Mulkey. He uh, robs a a Wells Fargo bank, shoots the security guards inside, and starts taking the LAPD on a high-speed chase. Uh, The chase ends when DeVries encounters a police blockade overseen by Detective Thomas Beck, played by Michael Norrie. Uh, DeVries is shot several times, smashes through the Brook blockade and crashes the Ferrari Ferrari he is driving. DeVries is taken to a hospital where I don't know how he survives this shootout. The car explodes. He's shot so many times. Uh, At the time, I was like, I cannot believe he's still alive. I really enjoyed this car chase. I don't know if he has any thoughts on it the fact that he the guy escaping is looking for encounters he runs through a couple guys holding a plate glass window uh he unfortunately for a man in a wheelchair he goes directly for him as he's escaping through a park um i don't know this is a really well shot fun car chase scene to start the movie it really just throws you into the action uh what did you guys think about this opening
0: yeah, I think the action I think the action direction is awesome in this movie. Like the opening is really exciting. And I like the, the credits. Uh that I like that it's over the security camera footage and seeing him like just standing there watching the people that are at the bank. And then yeah, you know, before he starts, you know, shooting all of the people in the bank, I, I think is is really eff- like a really effective introduction to that character. And um and yeah, I think the car chase is great. The the two guys who are carrying the glass, that stunt is amazing. The guy who goes over the car and then lands in the road. I mean, I don't know how you do that and not and not get hurt. I mean, it look it's pretty it's pretty amazing.
1: Yeah, I watched this that's I watched this with a friend and my friend was like that almost looks too real where it was like yeah. scary how realistic it was. Yeah. No, that was
2: that was fun. Uh, you know again kind of coming into this same kind of thing you know not how you've seen it before. Um, not sure what you know what you're really getting into. Um, you know he puts the the tape into the car and you know, that's a pretty um, killer song and it's like okay, this is this is going to be a fun watch. And then I, I had the same note about the uh, yeah the uh, the wheelchair guy and his caretaker just kind of ditching him to to his fate.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah, just getting out of the way.
2: Right, and not getting uh, out of the way. So, no, that, yeah, that, that, was a, that was a solid opening. Yeah, and Jack
0: shoulder, I mean, he didn't do a whole lot really after this. And before this, he did um, Alone in the Dark, which is a great, that's a really fun slasher movie um, that he made in the early 80s. Um, and I think he made an action movie after The Hidden called Renegades that I haven't seen. But it's too bad he never got... Like a big movie, like he could have easily made like a Stallone or an Arnold movie, or if he'd done like a a Shane Black script, like he, like I could have easily see Jack Shoulder making The Last Boy Scout and making it good. Like his action direction is
1: is really good. Yeah, it looks it looks so good. It's very very um, accomplished. I don't know. I I'm surprised he didn't do more after this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, something I. No- I I like how, you know, that rock song is playing in the car, but it's only playing when the shots are of the driver getting away in the car. It's not like just throughout the entire scene, you know, from different camera angles. It's only when he's driving in the car. It's not when the when the poli- the showing the police behind him. Something about that I like that. Um, you feel like you're in the car with him, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Something about this the score is a little wonky for me. I don't think it's terrible. I, uh, in my notes, I compare it to a wild animal stepping on a synthesizer set to the percussion and bass setting. It's <laughs> like a lot of. Wah, wah. <laughs> 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 it was.
2: I did make a note during a later scene uh, in a mannequin store or warehouse where, yeah, similar of like, I don't hate this, but it is it is weird.
1: <laughs> it is out there. I don't know if uh, I mean the budget seemed to be decent enough. You know, something where you like, outsource this to a friend <laughs> and they uh, <laughs> you know did their best I don't know um, also a lot of mannequins un- mannequin stores in uh, 80s films seems like I mean it does make for a great you know someone's hiding in the mannequin room it's a compelling you know frightful yeah, uh, scene but do we really encounter this many mannequins probably not then again, do we really back it uh, against doors as we close them into our rooms and slide down? No. But these things happen in movies all the time. (laughs) Okay, so, upon return to LAPD headquarters, Detective Beck and his supervisor, Lieutenant Lieutenant John Masterson, played by Karen Sfelder, meets FBI Special Agent Lloyd Gallagher, played by Kyle McLaughlin, who informs them that he is to work with Beck into tracking down DeVries, and when told DeVries is in the hospital, Gallagher rushes off to check him out and Meanwhile, we cut to the hospital where DeVries suddenly awakens. He rips off his life support equipment and approaches the comatose man in the next bed. This is Jonathan P. Miller, played by William Boyette, who I thought did a really good job in his role. We'll get to that. At this point, DeVries forces Miller's mouth open and something horrifying happens. A slug-like alien emerges from DeVries's mouth and transfers itself into Miller's body. I thought this effect was done really well. Um, the first, you know, with this being a horror-themed episode, and uh, you know, I, I researched the film enough to know that there was horror elements, but at, at this point, it was pretty much just like a straight-up action movie. And this is where we get the first horrifying segment. Um, I love practical effects. I think this one was really well done. Um, Do you guys have any notes on this slug uh, relocation?
0: no it's definitely it's a really cool effect um i mean you can like you can see in early 80 movies where it's obvious where there's something coming out of somebody's mouth that their head is being replaced by you know like by a dummy's head yes but with this you can kind of they still have some movement like in his neck when the slug's coming out of him and it it um
2: it definitely adds to it. Like it, it, it looks really good. Yeah. It, no, I, I, it, I, I had a note. Yeah, it's, it, it is an impressively large um, slug creature to be just kind of holed up in this person's body.
1: Yes, with the tendrils coming out at the end. Oof! It's just like a long. It's like a drawn out seven or eight seconds of uh, <laughs> switching from body to body. Oof! Yeah.
2: Oh, solid body horror for
1: sure yes okay so now now the slug is in uh jonathan p miller played by william boyette who i think really embraces this role uh he leaves the hospital and he <laughs> <laughs> the uh, love of fast cars of this alien creature that is evidenced by the opening car chase scene continues um Miller also, he goes to a record store, beats the owner to death, and looks at a poster on the wall of some people enjoying a boombox, decides that's a good idea, smashes the glass, grabs the boombox. Then he uh, he sees a, I believe he sees a Ferrari outside, follows that to the car dealership, where he uh, gets into an altercation with the SCSI car dealer and security and just asks for the keys to the Ferrari and then makes his own way of getting the car. I really enjoy his, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger esque tagline for when he kills someone instead of a clever line, he just says, bye. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. Um, thank you. Bye. Yes. <laughs> no need to mince words, you know, uh, as he shoots people. Um, what do you think of this guy? What do you think of uh, William Boyette as Jonathan P. Miller? I, I really enjoyed his performance.
2: I did like, um, yeah. And the, it, it, we mentioned before that when he sees the car, um, and just straight up chasing after it, and I don't know, this isn't you know talk or, or whatever, but he, he runs fairly quickly for an older man, and then you know the body slows down, and there's like some frustration it seems like in the in his face. So I don't know if that's like the alien, you know, being annoyed that this, you know, old body can't run at full speed for, you know, who knows how many miles it's been chasing this this car for, but uh, I thought that was pretty funny.
1: Yeah, uh, interesting that these body, like the first body, can survive all those bullets, but then the body he's in now still has the same kind of heart condition as the person he's taking over. It's interesting, I, I, you know. I suspend disbelief for this. I'm willing to buy in. Uh, then, one uh, thing I think yeah. one thing that Jack shoulder
0: should be like commended for in this is that he casts like the whole cast is at the very least really interesting looking, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is essential for movies that don't have like a, a huge budget with a lot of stars and he gets good performances even out of minor characters. I mean, everyone in this is pretty memorable. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think for this kind of movie is is uh, is is pretty amazing, and I did want to talk about the script because it was written by. Um, I think it's, I think you pronounce his last name Cough actually, but Jim Cough, and he wrote under the pseudonym Bob Hunt because he was unhappy with a couple script changes. But um, I can't imagine wanting my name <laughs> like taken <laughs> off of this movie. Like I I think. I don't know. I think that it's 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 such a good movie. I, w- I would want to be associated with it. But he did go on to write National Treasure, so maybe not getting credited for this <laughs> helped his career.
1: Uh, no, I really agree about the performances. Um, I feel like in a movie like this, with the budget limitations, the performances can make or break it. And yeah, he really gets the most out of even minor characters. No one really takes you out of the environment as you're watching the... the plot you know develop it's just uh all the um principal characters really do a good job and they seem like i don't know it feels like they enjoy they're enjoying what they're doing they're uh they're into it they're not just out there to get a paycheck kind of situation yeah yeah um at this point Jonathan Miller goes to a strip club and this is where the alien transfers over to a stripper named Brenda played by Claudia Christian I thought she did a nice job too um interesting move she does while she's stripping she does the classic lick the finger touch the butt sizzle routine which uh is that is that a thing I guess it is I don't know it feels it feels like it's a little bit outdated I don't know was that an improv by Claudia we'll never know for sure but uh I took note of that um yeah so he uh confronts her in the back after the show and uh they don't show the transformation this time but now now the alien is a stripper and uh right as um the police are getting there brenda escapes or just leaves but she's you know unsuspected it's just like you know she works there she's propositioned by a cat caller she accepts his propositions follows him to his car and then they have uh vehicular sex, which leads to his death. <laughs> we don't really know how. We just know he's... Uh, at first, he's enjoying it, and uh, it becomes more and more painful and less and less enjoyable coming from the, the man. And uh, She takes his car. It's like a early 80s... Is that a Cadillac, I think? It looks pretty cool. Um, Gallagher and Beck pursue her to a rooftop where there's a confrontation and the alien kind of reveals itself in talking to Gallagher. Um, and then there's this really cool shot here where Brenda jumps through a neon sign to escape. Um, I don't know, I loved how it looked. Uh, another, another kind of action, really well, well handled. Sequence just looked really good. Um, what did you guys think of the strip club scene and the, the chase from to this rooftop? Well, I
0: think one thing that um I really love about this movie is the pace is just breathless. I mean, it never stops, and um, all of the characters in every like in pretty much every there's maybe two scenes where the characters aren't. Um, frantically, you know, searching for whoever has the alien inside of them, or or they aren't like kind of yelling at each other. Like every scene has a lot of energy, and um and I, and I like anytime there's a chase, even if it's a foot chase or a car chase, it it's it's always exciting to watch.
2: Yeah. No, this was this was fun, and like I mean, like I said, like yeah, the. the Mannequin uh, warehouse, and um, I guess this is kind of jumping ahead, but yeah, some some decent alien uh, dog horror comes up, uh, which is which is always fun. But um, no, I, I did like the um, the the man that is uh, lulled into his uh, unfortunate demise. I like that he's wearing
1: um, all Lamborghini gear. <laughs> yeah I noticed that too, but then this car is not a Lamborghini at all <laughs> if the alien was lured you know or,
2: or, or you know that that appeal to to the alien um, and then yeah obviously the disappointment of you know not not a bad car but not a Lamborghini
1: The dog does a great job, I have to say uh there's a scene where the dogs already even oh we didn't even get to this point yet uh when brenda the Stripper falls to her death. The alien goes to a dog from one of the the police detectives who's arriving at the scene. The dog kind of hops out early, and it's like looking at the body, and the transformation takes place. But there's a I see a couple minutes later where the dog's just looking at itself in the mirror. Mm-hmm. It has such a human element to it. It's really <laughs> interesting. Yeah, uh, it's a really cool shot. And I don't know if you guys noticed. I'm sure you guys noticed this. Whenever the alien is in. A different body it does this tongue move where it's kind of like sticking its tongue out and even mm-hmm. the dog does it <laughs> to let you know that the aliens in there it's like a little nice little wink of uh, you know I mean we all we all know it that the transition took place but it just kind of reaffirms that the aliens in there and in control of this of this body that you're looking at um, so after the uh, alien goes to the dog Oh, here's an interesting situation where um Beck is frustrated by Gallagher's refusal to tell him what's going on with this alien, he's kind of being mysterious, like you don't wanna know what's going on, you don't wanna know what's happening. you couldn't really handle it. you couldn't handle the truth kind of situation. He decides to arrest him, i guess for um what would you call it like uh like obstruction of justice there. yeah, yeah, never really seen a a, a city policeman arrest an f b i agent for that. Um, But Gallagher doesn't really protest too much Um, At this point we learn That Oh let me jump back a little bit It has the um, There's an interesting sequence One of the se- few scenes like Hunter said That doesn't have non-stop action Is when Gallagher is invited over to Beck's house For dinner
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, And starts acting Strangely He has a weird interaction with Um with Beck's daughter, just like kind of like they're looking at each other, like they're kind of sizing each other up. Um, the way he's eating is Gallagher is eating his food. It's very like, this is not natural to me. Um, the way he holds his beer bottle, it all starts kind of forming this these pieces to the puzzle that he might not be human himself, um, which is kind of confirmed when he tries to eat alka-seltzer <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, any any more thoughts on the uh, on this and uh kind of the maybe a little bit of discussion of the dynamic between gallagher and beck in there i think they have pretty good chemistry
0: yeah they're really fun together and uh and kyle mclaughlin i think is like perfectly suited to play an alien like he he's so he's so distinct it, like it's impossible for him to be an an everyman but like when he's doing things that are more like alien traits let's say they don't feel like very forced mm-hmm. he, he looks kind of uncomfortable doing it but I think it's in a way that's appropriate for the character he's just doing something he's never done before but yeah you can you can see in this why he's such a perfect match for someone like David Lynch and also why he would never become like a mainstream star. hmm
2: Yeah, it is interesting how, like, you know, again, I guess this goes back to, like, you know, both the performance and the script of, yeah, you know, that dinner scene, you know, it's, it's you know, before that, it's kind of built up. He's kind of an oddball, kind of a loner, um, you know, does his own thing. And so it isn't, you know, as, you know, jarring of, like, oh, this this person is an alien. You know, there is that semblance of, like, he could just be weird. And you know, doesn't have a lot of social interactions. And so I, I did I did like that there was that kind of like uncertainty, um, with his character of you know, what's going on here.
1: Yeah, me too. I wasn't I wasn't sure either until it's like completely revealed. Um it could have been either or, like he's just a loner, he's you never know with FBI agents, you know, I mean, they're just obsessed with their work. They just don't have this these social skills, but it would have been hard to play off the Alka-Seltzer and then and then he doesn't know how to take aspirin he drops into his drink which is really funny Uh, yeah yeah it's just Kyle McLaughlin is like it's a very it's kind of an ideal role for him so after the dinner scene and after um, you know Gallagher gets arrested for withholding evidence eventually it's revealed while Gallagher's behind bars that something's going on here and that Beck cannot do this, cannot solve this situation without Gallagher, and they team up, acquire some weapons, and the final showdown occurs. How, how do you feel about the climax, the climactic scenes of this film?
2: Yeah, the jail scene um, and, and that whole kind of start to the, to the end of the movie is, is a lot of fun. Um, again, I, I like that you know, this alien is you know, maintaining its personality um, you know, as it jumps from host to host, and and at this point, you know, it's a new host, and I like that. Um, you know, I think he just says bye, and is holding a rocket launcher, um, you know, which is then knocked away at the last minute. But I, I again, I, I like that simplistic just bye, and then you know, destruction commences.
1: The bye is so good. I love it. Mm-hmm.
2: It is a it is a good performance, and then yeah, it just kind of kind of goes nuts from there. You've got, you know, senators, you know, fleeing for their lives and, um, you know, a flamethrower that had made an earlier appearance in the movie, um, you know, that that reveal comes to fruition. So, uh, no, I, 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 I thought I, I enjoyed this a lot. Um, and yeah, it was it was a great kind of um, finale. Yeah, I agree. I think it's 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 really fun. Uh,
0: I, 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 I love any time a flamethrower is a part of a climactic scene. Yeah, I don't have a whole
1: lot to say about it out outside of it just being fun. I like that uh, the burn effects at the very end; those look yeah. really good too. Mm-hmm. And um, oh, there, there's one thing I remember. It's a very subtle. There's a shootout, and uh, Beck runs out of bullets, and he kind of looks at the. <laughs> he looks at the alien, um, and he's kind of like don't shoot me huh he kind of shrugs and then gets shot but that hopeful (laughs) maybe you won't shoot me look from him is just it's so good uh is that when
0: the alien is in the character named willis yeah yes yes willis i think is a really awesome character Mm -hmm. and that actor i think is pretty cool in this oh one thing in the prison is uh danny trejo is one of the prisoners in there did you, did you guys see
1: yeah i saw that is that like a is it like
0: one of his first roles or just like i don't know it's definitely early for him but i don't know if it's one of his first
1: roles he has a couple lines in there mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of uh i think if you listen really closely there's a lot of prisoner just they're just like spouting off all these lines about the situation it's pretty funny just they're just kind of saying whatever um as like this battles going on around them, and they're just trapped in their cells. There's a lot of like one-liners from them that are not super distinct, but I think if you listen closely, you can probably get some good, some good uh, entertainment out of those. I guess we're ready for uh, star ratings on this one. Uh, Max, you first.
2: Yeah, like I said, overall, um, you know, having not seen. I mean, into yeah, I didn't see either of these movies before um, this week, but uh, going into this one, not knowing much about it. I uh, was pleasantly surprised. Um, I, I thought it had a lot of the kind of almost like early uh, Men in Black vibes, uh, just with the alien, and then you're kind of the the more grumpy, um, you know, veteran with kind of the oddball. Um, but overall, yeah, I gave it four stars, and uh, yeah, definitely recommend it for a, a fun weekend watch. Hunter.
0: Yeah, this is my third time seeing it, and I, I love it. I, I gave it. I'm gonna give it a, a four point five. I think um, it's kind of like a combination of Night of the Creeps and the Terminator. I think my favorite aspects of it are like the Terminator aspects because it's. I, I think beat for beat, like I think if you watch these movies side by side, I think that they would share like the same action and story beats.
1: Yeah, I can see that. I only recently watched the Terminator for the first time a couple months ago and I absolutely loved it but uh yeah it's it's awesome th- that's it's probably even better than I expected I don't know what I expected I think I maybe thought it would be cheesier I guess but it's mm-hmm. really not it's just really no. good um yeah I really enjoyed this as well as my first watch um it's remarkable some of the similarities between this and Night of the Creeps not even intending it with the slugs um there's flame flowers involved and uh, I think there's other things is there like things. a zombie dog in both or like zombie the, dog in both yes yeah. yes man that's just I love dogs so much and they just don't fare well in these types of films but uh, solid four stars for me I could see it going higher I did watch it twice um, I could see it going to four and a half at some point but yeah a lot of fun really enjoyed it and glad I picked it
0: finally here for Chris, Cindy, and JC. It's going to be the best night of their lives. But tonight is also the night of the creeps. From a world unknown comes a nightmare unimagined. First, they are under you, around you, on you,
2: and then inside you and get into your mouth and you walk around while they incubate even if you're dead they are a new
1: terror
2: they are a different kind. zombies exploding heads creepy crawlies we could have a little problem the creeps are taking over Good news and bad news, girls. The good news is your dates are here.
1: What's the bad news?
2: They're dead. You have never had a night like this. <laughs> night of the Creeps. If you scream, you're dead.
1: All right, and now we're on to Night of the Creeps, which is my rewatch. It's a... Uh, an all-time favorite of mine in the horror genre not it's it's fun it's 80s there's more slugs the smaller version and uh let's get into it so this is directed by fred decker who didn't direct that many films he did the monster squad written by shane black which i really enjoyed and he did um i think robocop 3 Mm -hmm. which i think was not well received Oh, it's uh, terrible. Oof. Yeah, I've never seen it, but maybe that's good. <laughs>
0: H- highly unrecommended. It's just uh, terrible.
1: What is just like, uh, just poor production, poor performances. Everything's just
0: yeah, just kind of top to bottom. It just was. It just seemed like it was doomed to fail.
1: It, it's just bad. Okay. Um. Yeah, one point nine. Oh yeah, that's. That's hard. That's hard to achieve on <laughs> Letterboxd. <laughs> Usually something we will get some points just for being so bad. It's good kind of situation, but I guess not. Um, but monster squad, I really enjoyed. I watched it after the first time I watched night of the creeps. I wanted to kind of, and it has a similar fun kind of monster feel to it. Um, horror with some comedy. Um, Tom Adkins is in this. He's in a bunch of good horror stuff. Um, I had recently watched him in uh, what was it? Uh, Halloween three, the one without Michael Myers, <laughs> but which I actually do enjoy. It's 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 just a weird one-off uh, of that franchise. Um, I don't know. I, I I enjoy his performance. I like him a lot. I think he's uh, he does a good job. He's also in Lethal Weapon, Escape from New York. Creepshow, another classic. I tend to, I, th- I always used to conflate Night of the Creeps with Creepshow. Adkins is in both. you got Creeps in there. Uh, there's a that weird story with um, roaches in the Creepshow, or it's insects or something. And then they have the slugs here. So there's a lot of carryover. Both, I enjoy both very much, but uh, I kind of get them combined sometimes. Mm. All right. We opened the film in 1959, but not on Earth, on a spacecraft, where two aliens are racing to keep an experiment from being released by a third member of the crew. A gun battle ensues. The third member of the crew isolates himself behind a door, a um, you know, classic spaceship door, he shoots the circuit panel and releases a canister, the contents of which we do not know, into space, where it crashes to Earth nearby, a college man takes his date to a parking spot where they see a falling star and investigate. Now I've noticed time and time again when you invest investigate something that falls from a spaceship or a spaceship itself, it's not going to turn out well for you. The curiosity does kill the cat and it's just uh, I understand the fascination. You see something fall from the sky, you want to see what happened. You want to see what it is. You want to make this discovery, but Usually you don't survive the situation. Have you guys thought of a situation where um, a spaceship or something from a spaceship lands, it's discovered, and the person does not have horrendous consequences for investigating?
0: Well, Close Encounters of the Third Kind doesn't really have horrendous consequences.
1: Oh. Well, that, all right. See, I've, I've actually never seen that.
0: But it's Spielberg. I mean, he... Right. He's... Um, you know, he was practically he, he just. Uh, what am I trying to say about Spielberg? <laughs> he's, he's wholesome.
1: Yes, he is. He is wholesome, and we need that.
0: Even though he can get—I mean, like Jaws is actually pretty bloody. I mean, he's not completely wholesome, but he's mostly—you know—fun for you know family fun.
1: He's—he's he's family friendly for the most part. Yeah, Jaws Wilson being Connors a good
0: is really good.
1: Yeah, I've—I've I've, I've wanted to see it forever. I just haven't gotten around to it for some reason. It's definitely high up on the list. There's just some that haven't got... I mean, I only saw It's a Wonderful Life for the first time last year. So, I don't know how this happens.
0: (laughs) Oh, it it happens.
1: (laughs) But it was great. Okay, so the canister falls to earth. There's a guy with his date. They investigate. Meanwhile, on the radio, there's a criminally insane mental patient who's escaped. Uh, There's a lot going on for this poor couple at the same time. They are in trouble. As the guy goes to investigate the spaceship canister falling star explosion situation the axe-wielding maniac comes upon the poor girl waiting in the car for him who is impatiently asking him to come back unbeknownst to her these are the last last few minutes of her life so they don't show the they show the, uh, the maniac about to attack the woman and then it cuts to the boy who finds this canister which contains small slug-like things that jump into his mouth and then we cut to 1986 uh, before i get into the modern day for the time scenes what do you think of this opening with the uh 1959 the makeout point and the the, the radio news of the maniac with the spaceship the whole entrance to the movie what did you guys think Hunter
0: I think the the opening is definitely my favorite part mm-hmm. um, with the aliens it has like an intentionally campy like artificiality to it that I think is 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 fun and um and then I like like when it cuts to black and white I think the nostalgia in this movie doesn't feel as forced as it does in recent horror movies that are set in the 80s where like the nostalgia is the movie's selling point, and I I like the uh, like the makeout location. I think it's cool. Like it reminds me of kind of like the same a similar location in Zodiac. Obviously, a very different you know tone and feel. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I also like that. I I think it cuts. Doesn't the killer swing the axe, and then that's when it cuts to pledge week? Like before, yeah, you yeah, see the axe hit the the girl that was a really fun cut. Yeah. I like yeah. That. I think that was really cool. Yeah. The
2: opening is, is, is great. Max, any, I, I did the, uh, aliens, um, resembled naked cabbage patch kids.
1: <laughs> there we go. Even better.
2: Yes. Yes. <laughs> I think like these look, these look they're very, very distinct, very memorable. Um, anytime an alien has a butt, you'll, uh, like <laughs> to remember that. Um, <laughs> But no, those were fun, and then the, I mean, yeah. Um, again, I, I my note was, yeah, if if something crashes from space, just move along, and let someone else figure it out. Um, but other than that, no, that was that was a it was a fun, fun opening, and, and you know, it set set the tone for um, just a, just a easy quick watch.
1: Uh, a couple things I enjoyed about the beginning uh, when the aliens are fighting and arguing and talking. There's alien language subtitles for that, which I thought was entertaining. Right. Yeah, and uh, one other brief moment: um, this the radio report, this news report of the escape killer. I think they say he's on he's on Route 66, heading towards the university. And the girl in the car turns on the headlights, and it says Route 66 sign, and the university is three miles away. It's all right in that one space where they're parked. That was pretty hilarious. Uh, that was- little touch. I enjoyed that Yeah Okay, so We jump to 1986 We get our Two of our protagonists uh, Chris Romero Played by Jason Lively And his Kind of sidekick Smart-alecky But, you know A really good Best friend uh, JC Played by Steve Marshall Um, It's Pledge Week At Corman University And Chris, the classic 80s nice guy, spots a girl, the girl of his dreams perhaps, Cynthia Cronenberg, who's played by Jill Whitlow, um, and falls instantly in love. To get her attention, he decides to join her fraternity. Cynthia's boyfriend, who uh, classically is not the nicest guy... who heads the Beta Epsilon fraternity, tasks them with stealing a cadaver from the University Medical Center and depositing it on the front steps of a rival's fraternity house. Pretty common prank, the old uh, cadaver prank, you know? Pretty <laughs> pretty basic. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Chris and uh, JC go to the medical center and they, uh, by chance, enter this secret room where... Um, one digit of a password has not been entered by scientists played by David Pamer. They hit the zero button, which is the missing digit and see a cryogenically frozen body inside. Um, which they decide to, they hit some buttons on a switchboard. The body comes out and grabs them and they run away like um, <laughs> screaming banshees according to the, uh, the medical center's janitor who loves to replay <laughs> the scene, uh, many times over. Um, the corpse then kills the medical student who forgot his password played by David Pamer. And at this point we cut to, uh, the entrance of Tom Atkins, but any, any thoughts about this uh, whole cadaver prank meeting the girl, this part of the movie?
2: Yeah, it set the tone pretty well for me. Um, I think the the one line as like, uh, my grandparents have sex more than we do. (laughs) Like solid, (laughs) solid self-deprecating humor. And, um, again, I like the confidence of, of JC walking up to, I, I forget the, um, frat member's name, but the distraction being, Hey, someone called, uh, for you and then, Oh, okay, cool. Thanks, man. And then quickly leaving the room. Oh, the guy with the one continuous eyebrow. The one continuous eyebrow. <laughs> yes, the Neanderthal. <laughs> no, that. So that you know. Anytime you know, early on, uh, the, the dialogue is, is is fun like that. You, you're kind of kind of put at ease of like, okay, this is this this is not going to be uh, a slog to watch. Um, this will not be a sluggish watch. <laughs> You're waiting for that, obviously. <laughs> that one, that one came to me, but no, yeah, so yeah, good, great opening, Hunter. Yeah, well, I do.
0: Um, I like now. This isn't when it goes to Pledge Week. Is that in the, like an official like school dance, or is it is that just kids dancing? Oh, I couldn't tell if it was like an actual like event at the school, or think- if it was just kids dancing.
1: I think it was just kids dancing, and then there's a formal event that comes later.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, because I was going to say, I, um, I do love any time there's a high school or college movie that has a dance scene in it, like, like, um, like in Carrie or even like The Virgin Suicides. I just like any time there's uh, a situation where there's young kids, and it could be awkward, or in, like, in Carrie's place, it could you know, turn bloody. Um, but also here you get a lot of the characters last names are the same names as of of directors you know Cynthia Cronenberg of course yeah Um, and then there's is it Chris Romero yes yep and then uh, his best friend is actually James Carpenter Hooper so he has John Carpenter and Hooper in his name (laughs) and then the university is Corman University which I'm assuming is for Roger Corman it's got to be. And and then there's I don't I, they aren't like major characters, but there's also a character with uh Raimi is as the last name and Landis is the last name of another character. Mm. Yeah, Detective Landis. Yep.
1: <laughs> that's pretty fun. I didn't even put together the JC one and that's yeah, that's really good.
0: James Carpenter
1: Hooper, that is is pretty strong. <laughs> uh at this point we see Tom Atkins for the first time as Detective Ray Cameron, a haunted cop who is called into the cryogenic slab break in, where he discovers one of the bodies, the boy who discovered the alien experiment in 1959, is now missing, set free by Chris and JC, unbeknownst to them. The corpse makes its way to the sorority house, where it is something about this. It goes back to the window where it picked up its date 27 years ago and does the same. Stones on the window greeting like, part of that brain still there. Um, <laughs> uh, at one point, his head splits open and releases more of the slugs. Called to the scene, Detective Cameron finds the body, interpreting the condition of the head as a result of an axe wound to the face. Um, because of his, he was actually the policeman back in 1959 as a young man, who's former girlfriend is killed by the axe-wielding maniac. The next day, the fraternity brothers confront Chris and JC, who they believe to be responsible for the previous night's incident of the corpse being placed at the sorority house. They are taken in for questioning by the police. Based on the testimony of a janitor, who <laughs> witnessed them running out of the university medical center, quote, scream like banshees, which he says three or four times. He will not let it rest how uh, scared they are <laughs> to run away out of the building. Uh, they confess to breaking in, but deny moving the corpse. That night, the dead medical student rises from his slab and runs into the janitor and gives the janitor a little taste of his own mocking medicine. Any thoughts of uh, this part of the film, uh, Hunter?
0: No, I don't really have I actually don't have a lot of notes uh for this part. I will say um I'm not a huge fan of the um like the main characters and this Jason Lively and Steve Marshall's characters. Okay. Um I I mean this dynamic is in you know quite a few movies um where there's kind of like a likable you know loser and and he has kind of a An irritating but likable best friend. And I think I like this dynamic a little bit more in Fright Night.
1: Okay. Yeah. Than
0: in this. But, um, but yeah, I'm not crazy about, uh, about the uh, best friend main characters in this.
1: The main guy, he's pretty one note. He's just like awestruck over this woman and, um, Trying to, you know, win her over without really doing much, making the best friend do all the work. But the best friend's mm-hmm. pretty, um, you know, willing. Uh, I find I find Steve Marshall as the um, sidekick a little bit more entertaining. Um, mm-hmm. There's a point later where he leaves a message for um, when he's been. Well, we won't talk about that yet. Never mind. <laughs> but
0: that part's good. <laughs> And the uh, the beta guys, like the uh, the frat guys. Yeah. They are all like in the future, they are going to work at Pierce and Pierce with Patrick Bateman and American Psycho. <laughs> I mean they are so much like that kind of yuppie.
1: Mhm. Man, there's so many uh, leaders of the bad the bad guys of a of a teen film that are blonde. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I like how JC says like, "Why don't you go goose step?" <laughs> At some point, he says that. Yeah, pretty good. But yeah, it's definitely there's definitely some cliches in this film, but I think it's self aware enough to know that it's doing it. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I think yeah, going in even just like before we mentioned you know the the kind of references to the, to the directors of you know past horror films. There's and I, you know even going like you know Monster Squad too. There's there's clearly some affinity for for older um, things that have come before. So that that would make
1: sense. All right, I'll go back into the plot now. Um, Cynthia attempts to convince Chris and JC that the attacks are zombie-related. They are skeptical, which, you know, who wouldn't be? Uh, When JC sees Cynthia leaning on Chris's shoulder, JC leaves the two alone and has a horrifying encounter in a bathroom with the slugs that em- emerge from the possessed janitor um, he's just stuck in a stall the janitor comes in, I think collapses on the floor and the slugs are out all over the floor around him and he's just trapped in the stall um, this is where he learns that conveniently that fire may be an effective weapon against him he finds this uh, pack of matches with a couple matches left on the floor and uh uses them and i think he burns one of the slugs up and he's like okay we have a way to (laughs) we have a way to defeat these slugs Mm -hmm. um meanwhile chris walks cynthia back to sorority house and bumps into detective cameron who has overheard their conversation and kind of mocks it uh at his house detective cameron explains to chris that the escaped lunatics 1959 victim was his ex-girlfriend which makes a lot of sense with all the demons that seem to be affecting detective cameron he's got he's got things going on in his mind at all times he's in a dark place um and he reveals that he secretly hunted down and killed the ex-murderer in 1959 in revenge after the reveal he also reveals that he buried the body under what is now the sorority house's uh house mother's cottage i guess it's called where she lives uh at this point he gets a call that the same axe-wielding lunatic from 1959 has emerged and has killed the house mother detective cameron blows off the corpse's head with a shotgun which releases even more slugs uh any thoughts about this part of the movie uh i'll start with you hunter
0: yeah now um i like the idea that uh Atkins character the person that he kind of killed for revenge you know decades earlier he gets to kind of kill him again hmm and I was thinking how awesome it would be if they did like a Groundhog Day style re- <laughs> revenge movie where a guy is getting revenge every single day <laughs> like, that would be the greatest like I, I, I wish that, that that could happen
1: like in all different um, ways. Like, yeah, and just yeah. each day
0: he wakes up and he gets revenge on, on the same person every single day in a different way. But yeah, there's some good stuff in here. I, I, I love any times Atkins is on screen, it's great. I mean, and like the first time, I don't, we didn't talk about this, but the first time you meet him during his dream, um, I, I think is pretty amusing where he's just uh, drinking on the beach and there's a lot of, uh, a lot of ladies walking by. But um,
1: that dream is pretty wild, yeah. And then his, his, it is it is wild. Girlfriend comes out of the water. <laughs> yeah,
2: it's a good looking coconut drink, I will say.
1: Yeah, yeah, I made me
0: want one for sure. Um, and there's a uh, when the house mother is, well, I think it's the house mother. Yeah, when when she's found dead, um, one of the cops said says something like let's just put it this way if we used this a, a, a different stretcher for every piece we'd be here all night
1: <laughs> there are some good comedic lines from just like uh non-main characters thrown in there i i enjoyed that line too mm-hmm. yeah
0: and here th- there's also um does the montage happen in here of like all the young people getting ready for the dance and the slugs that's like, right after rampant? this yeah they show the guys and the girls all getting ready. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty good. Oh, one thing I do like uh, about this movie is, I, I don't remember there being much of a an original score. It's pretty much all like the soundtrack is just kind of composed of different songs. And I like, I I love movies that do that. I mean, like there's like examples like Goodfellas, or um or even the, uh, what's the Richard Linklater movie, like Dazed and Confused. Yeah. Um, I, I just like movies that instead of using a soundtrack, they use k- kind of like pop songs. Um, I think it, it just gives the movie a different feel, and I, and I think for something like this, it, it also
1: kind of helps the pace too. Yeah, I noticed that as well. Um, I think sometimes a film can rely too much on score and it's nice to see it done a different way like this. I, I enjoyed that, too. Uh, I noticed that and uh, couldn't quite put my finger on what I was appreciating at the time. But now it makes sense. Uh, I think there's, there's, it can be done well either way. But I like that they made this choice this time. Yeah.
0: And, like, and Tarantino, I mean, quite a few of his movies are just you know, songs. Or, or, like, score from earlier movies, like from, you know, Spaghetti Westerns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true.
1: Uh, there's sometimes... Uh, I've seen films where the song choices are just, like, so on point to, like, what's happening. It's almost annoying. Like, it's... Mm-hmm. I don't know. I can't think of a specific, specific movie at the time, but... uh
0: Well, I think the classic example is... uh Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, ain't that a kick in the head <laughs> when Tom
1: Cruise is kicking people in the head? Yeah, yes, 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 exactly. Things like that give me a hard eye roll sometimes. So at this point, we uh, we get that montage of the, the guys and the girls getting ready for the dance. There's some hijinks going on. It's a good little montage, um, getting dressed kind of thing. There's some gratuitous nudity, but, nudity, but not like... I've seen worse. Uh, at this point, we have one of the most heartfelt, sad, you know, f- rare sad moments in the film where um, Chris finds a recorded message that JC posthumously left for him saying that the alien slugs are inside him and that he's aware of it, that they're incubating in his brain and that he knows they're susceptible to heat. He's going to try and go down to the furnace and... If he doesn't come back. He's done what needs to be done. Um, I don't know. I like this. It gives it. It gives it some gravity to what's you know a pretty action fun. You know, for horror, it's it's a lot of like, you know, it's not taking itself too seriously. This is like the one of the the one moments so it has some like serious like heart to it, and I appreciated that. um this point chris recruits te- detective cameron and they uh go down to the police station to get a flamethrower that themes up again with <laughs> a flamethrower climax uh to dispose of a slug or many slugs this time from the police armory and this is where we get um oh, what's his name has a cameo i love this guy oh uh dick miller dick miller He's so good. His face—you see his good. face, and you just—you just know the scene's gonna be fun.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, this also reminded me of in the hidden when they're—they're they're going down to, even just like this argument where they're not allowed in; they don't have permission. Very similar. There's a lot of carryover between these two films. Um, they're different films, but just like similar ideas. I mean, they're only a year apart too. So
0: yeah.
1: Um, after they retrieved the flamethrower, we're ready for the climactic confrontation with the slugs. Um, what did you guys think of the infamous, famous line that I love so much and the uh, final confrontation between the zombies, the slugs, and our heroes? Uh, Max?
2: Yeah. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's a fun climax. And, I mean, again, it's kind of whenever you hear those lines... Um, either with uh, on the poster, or, you know, where or in the trailer, you're always just kind of waiting. And then when it you finally arrives and it, and it gets delivery or gets delivered, um, it's 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 satisfying. So I, I, I imagine Tom Atkins was was pretty happy with that delivery. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but then, yeah, no, it's I I, I enjoyed the the uh, finale and Those are my initial thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, I do.
0: I do like the finale. I like when um, when Romero and uh, Cronenberg when they end up in that like shack on the side of the house and they're kind of trapped. I like the way they get out of it. I I I, I like that part a lot. And uh, and I just like the slugs. The 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 alien <laughs> slug is just a, it's a strong image. I, I love during the montage when you see them. Um like the shots of the slugs, uh, going like, yeah.
1: What do they do? How do slugs Suck, get around? Like skittering, slithering around, slithering. Yeah. yeah. They, I guess they slither. They make a sound. It's a very distinctive, like, yeah, it's a memorable sound they make, whatever that is. Oh, and I like when Brad,
0: you know, the, uh, the frat, the frat guy, uh, boyfriend, uh, he gets the slug from the dog, right? He does. Yeah. That, I like that a lot. I, I think the dog looks looks pretty awesome. And um, and how does Brad like? Doesn't he try to get the dog's attention?
1: Yeah, he sees the slugs and he's like, "Hey, dog, did you see that?" And yeah. And uh, and that's it for him. <laughs> we get a zombie dog and a zombie cat in this film. The cat looked pretty cool too. I mean, there's something about. These practical effects and its just throw an earthworm in there and it feels a little bit unnecessary <laughs> but yeah, but they did they still both looked pretty cool i mean there's uh oh we didn't even talk about the uh the dog causes the huge uh bus crash of all everyone going all the guys going to the dance, which leads to all the zombies being oh yeah filled with slugs um, yeah
0: and, and did we we didn't talk about the um the girl who like sits in that room alone and drinks tea and the dog and com- comes and knocks on the door or is that a cat that's the cat that's the cat Gordon I think is his name yeah what's the deal with her why Why does she always isolate herself
1: I think she's just uh she just studious. enjoys tea yeah she reading. enjoys
0: tea she qu- likes quiet times yeah she is not as fun as the other characters in this movie no
1: but it doesn't mean she doesn't deserve love <laughs> <laughs> true <laughs> They're Definitely trying to put a, maybe she's the future, house mom, mm. vibe in there. Yeah, she yeah. could be.
0: She'll probably be the most successful, man, is she... of, the, of that graduating class.
1: What a what a bummer! You you have this pet cat you love. Yeah. You think that it dies, it comes back to the door as a zombie. How horrifying! Mm-hmm. Mm. She did not deserve
0: that. Oh wait, we did talk about the um, the tape that uh, James Carpenter Hooper left, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, that I, I do like that scene. It's definitely impactful, and I think it's rare, like in a movie, especially in the eighties, uh, where it's a friendship between two guys for one of them to say that he loves the other person.
1: Yeah, I like that too. And, and
0: say it with sincerity. Yeah, I, I think is pretty. I think it's pretty uncommon for an like an eighties movie.
1: Yeah. yeah. I I like that that too I mean that's something I'm not afraid to say to my guy friends that I love them but it's definitely something like especially in the 80s where they would probably be afraid to have characters be vulnerable like that mm-hmm. um, there were two endings to this film one for the theatrical release and then a director's ending um, I don't know which one you both saw Um, In the theatrical version, the dog who caused the bus accident returns and approaches Cynthia. As Cynthia bends down toward it, the dog opens its mouth and a slug jumps out at her. I did not see that ending. That was... um, Or I may have seen that ending in an earlier watch, but this time when I watched it, that's not what happened. Um, The ending that I did see, um, Chris and Cynthia are standing in front of the burning sorority house after... uh, Adkins blows it up with most of the slugs. Um, the camera moves to the street where police cars race towards the building, burning building. The police cars race by the charred and zombified Detective Cameron, who is shuffling down the street with his cigarette still lit. That's a beautiful touch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he falls to the ground. His head bursts open, and the slugs are still there. There's still a few left. Um, they scamper towards a nearby cemetery, suggesting the slugs have found new hosts to inhabit. Search sites appear from the night sky, revealing the source to be the spaceship from the beginning of the film, with the aliens intending to retrieve their experiment. This is the ending that I saw, although it didn't seem familiar to me watching it again. I don't know if it's, I don't know which ending I saw originally. I lose so much detail in movies once I haven't watched them for a few years. But did you all get the alien ending?
2: Yeah, yeah.: yep.
0: Yeah, and that's the only ending
1: I ever have seen. I, I, I could see both endings working. Um, I'd rather Cynthia live. I liked her. I thought she was... We didn't really talk much about her. She's really good at being... cute, I guess. There's something like, mm-hmm. about the way she talks. Um, it's kind of like shy. She's not really full of herself, even though she's really, you know, attractive. Um, she does... Her and Chris both really embrace the... flamethrower shotgun tandem... Pretty well. Like there's like a hookup, hiccups in the middle in the beginning, but then they really get into it and have a pretty good, pretty good uh, killing team. I gotta say. <laughs>
0: and that's yeah, where they, romance they're, begins. They, they're they're pretty good at the end.
1: Yeah. Well, one thing
0: uh, I do like before, um, I guess before they, you know what? I can't remember. How did they like explode the basement? The gasoline. The he, he pours gasoline and starts counting down from twenty. Okay, that's right. I do like. Before the House Explodes, when Romero uses um, Carpenter's kind of catchphrase, thrill me.
1: Yeah, that was good.
0: That's a good callback. And thrill me is a great catchphrase. It is. And Atkins, he delivers it very well each time. (laughs) Mm.
1: With full exasperation of a detective who's Mm -hmm. seen it all. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I guess we're ready for star ratings. Yeah. Max, go first again. I like hearing your star ratings first for some reason.
2: Yeah, uh, no, it was a fun watch. I think I preferred the hidden um, more, um, but you know, Night of the Creeps was still uh, a solid one. I, I ended up going three and a half, um, more, more three point seven five. Um, but yeah, again, uh, it should be mentioned too. Both of these um, runtimes: uh, eighty-eight minutes for Night of the Creeps, and I think ninety-six for the Hidden. So. Um, just making a very strong case for the 80 to 90
1: minute runtime. Um, yeah, no great watch loved it uh, three and a half for me. I'm so on board with that runtime. It really is it's, it's just it's the best. I mean, I, some films are great where you you want it to keep going, but um, I don't know, something about a 90 minute runtime. it's just you can do a lot in an hour and a half. that's for you sure. can you can you don't need two hours and 46 minutes (laughs) Mm -mm. hunter star rating
0: um for me it's a three i um i like it i don't i don't love it um but i think this is my third time seeing this movie as well um but yeah it's mostly the friends like the best friend characters i'm just i'm not i'm not crazy about them or their performances
1: it's a four and a half for me I love this movie it's a bit nostalgic um, I think it's one of the earliest the slugs are one of the earliest horror images for me and it's always stuck with me um, I realize I'm probably overrating it a little bit but it's still a four and a half I could see it going down to a four at some point with uh, repeat watches because there are some you know the main characters right there are a little bit limited but I think it's really fun, and I enjoy the performances. I like the whole vibe of it. Um, it's just a movie that I really enjoy. Uh, maybe it's not four and a half as far as quality, but for the fun I have watching it, I'm going to keep it up there. Uh, okay, I support that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Got it.
1: Yeah. Well, we did it. Um, if you want to reach out to us on social media, we are semi underscore cinematic on instagram and on facebook it's facebook.com slash semi cinematic all one word um any final thoughts on the week and max what do you have in store for us next week yeah
2: um continuing on the the horror lineup um we're going to jump up to 90s and so a uh, little connection to uh, hunters vincent prize picks we'll, we'll do the house on haunted hill remake Um, and then for me that's the first one and the second one will be uh, Event Horizon Um, again tying into uh, my love of all things space movies and probably one of the most most messed up space movies I think I've ever seen so that's on deck for next week excited to watch those with you guys
1: I'm excited too I've been wanting to rewatch Event Horizon for a while and uh I don't watch enough 90s films. I really need to get more invested. I've been so 80s loaded. I really need to like take a break and delve into some other areas. so I'm glad you picked two 90s films for us.
0: One thing that's interesting about 90s movies that I think people don't don't realize is is um, and I think they talk about this I've heard other people mention this as well, but 90s fashion and hair it might be the it might be the worst decade ever <laughs> it does not i i mean like like 70s 80s it, i mean every any other decade i can think of holds up better than 90s
2: <laughs> it's having a bit of a cycle it's it's approaching it's it's rebirth in terms of uh the teens gen z and their fashion choices um they there i've noticed that there's been a, a little bit of a rebirth there so We'll see, but you know, again, they're
1: teenagers. I yeah, can't, I can't. I still can't believe I was experiencing. I mean, I think I was like seventeen or sixteen when this happened. But swing came back for a while. Swing dancing. Mm. That was a weird time. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so you live long enough, they'll come back around.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna be looking out for the uh, the fashion choices and the hair in these films. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. I love details like that. Um, kind of like how early '80s, the style and the hairstyles are quite distinctive as well. And there's some perms yeah, going with, on.
0: With teen characters, especially, yeah, like this fashion is terrible. Like, um, I rewatched. I know what you did last summer recently, and they all look really dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's. Uh,
2: I can't. It's wait. not a great movie either, but. Um, it could be why they died. You know. It could be why they died. Yeah, they're poor fashion choices. <laughs> it it could
1: be. I'm gonna look out for some uh, maybe the worst and the best choices by these characters fashion wise. That's a little fun side project for me in watching these films.
0: Well, thanks now for I'm gonna, d- oh, go ahead. well. Should I? I don't know if I should I spoil this. I don't I, know. Now, now, Max. Okay, so rewatching Event Horizon is gonna be very interesting for me. Do you, do you know why?
1: I'm about to find out. I'm ready for this.
0: I gave that film one star. Whoa! Yeah.
1: Wait. Does this? Is so this you, did
0: you know that when you chose it?
2: No, I didn't. I thought I didn't see that. I thought that I had picked ones that we had not seen in a while. I just missed your. I missed your Avatar. So this will be fun.
1: So that's All the last right. time you watched it. Hunter was the one star rating.
0: Yeah, in wow. 2016. I still, I still am trying to go back to that night and make a different selection oh wow <laughs> uh,
1: I have a one and a half star um, sci-fi film that people love it's um, oh gosh with Mila Jovovich uh, f- what's it called oh, Fifth Element Fifth Element yeah uh, but I've only seen it once
0: and it was yeah, a long I've time only ago. seen it once is Cr- Chris Tucker in that yes <laughs> Yeah, he, I think he's in it I, I can't remember it, I think it's him but he's pretty difficult to take in that in that film
1: Max are you a Fifth Element fan
2: I have not I have not seen it in full
1: so mm. I will need to, I'll need to add it to the list so Hunter are you kind of like you kind of in the middle about it like you don't hate it but it's not really doing anything for you either
0: yeah I can't remember how I felt about it but Max you're not going to make a habit of choosing <laughs> Low star rated movies that uh, John and I have seen. <laughs> I don't.
2: I guess we'll see how it goes next week. You know, and then yeah. if it's fun, uh, we might just keep the trend up. But if it's just you know gruesome, uh, we'll we'll move on. <laughs> but I, yeah, that is that is a genuine miss on my
1: end, Hunter. Good luck. Oh boy. Let's. I'll say this. I am willing to slug through portraits of words slog through the fifth element as a act of um solidarity for you going through event horizon again and then now again- you
0: know what might be kind of fun actually is if we did have an episode where we have like a movie that one person loves that someone else hates mm. yes yeah, so a point counterpoint i'm down for that
1: it sounds. Yeah, like it sounds like because like, a lot like of John,
0: you, you hate American Psycho, right?
1: I do. Yeah. Okay.
0: Because mm. I adore American Psycho. I think it's a laugh riot. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, I'm down. I'm down to punish myself. I don't mind. Yeah. Yeah. So like the business card
1: scene, all that stuff. Nothing. Nothing does anything for you in that film that's another one where it's been so long now I might appreciate it more I actually didn't like Blue Velvet when I first saw it and I like it a lot more now so mm. there's a chance there's always a chance that I might like something more I don't hold high expectations for um, American Psycho but I'm going to see what happens also Diane Darko cause... I used to hate and now I'm kind of in the middle about it so yeah Diane Darko
0: is kind of fun I um I haven't seen that in a really long time. But yeah, American Psycho, I've got the 4K on my shelf, and it's just been... It, it sits up there, and it it, <laughs> it wants to be opened, but I haven't gotten around to it yet. But it, I would love to have a good reason to rewatch it.
1: I'm definitely down for that.
0: I mean, it was a go-to in L.A. I, I have no idea how many times I watched it. I mean, me and my roommates sometimes would watch it a couple times a week.
1: I think I might watch some other uh 90s films uh upcoming for this next week to just get in that 90s vibe yeah Yeah.
0: if it's available you should watch i know what you did last summer i mean it's i think i gave it a two it's definitely not great there's one scene that's (laughs) hilarious where this guy the do you know the premise have you seen it john
1: i have seen it yeah but i think i saw it like in a theater
0: at the time yeah so you know they run over a guy and then they throw him in uh in the ocean or something wait what
1: I'm just kidding. Uh,
0: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but um, when the guy when they throw him into the water and he grabs Sarah Michelle Gellar's uh, tiara or crown or whatever, and Sarah Michelle Gellar's like he's got my tiara, and then <laughs> and then her boyfriend goes in the water and gets it. Just stuff like that is it, it, it's it's pretty terrible, but it's worth watching. Okay, I'm excited just, just to kind of make fun of it.
1: I actually appreciate that we've crossed so many decades with this series of the 60s and 70s with your picks, Hunter, and me with the 80s, and then Max with the 90s. I like that we're crossing that full spectrum. And then, uh, so. Yeah.
2: Bye. Bye.